Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the History Today podcast for October the 4th, 2012. In this episode, a mystery in the Bayeux Tapestry. And the October edition of History Today features a very interesting tale put together by the medieval historian Joanna Lanesmith, who is visiting a research fellow at the University of Reading. And um, it looks at a moment called the Elgifa Interlude, which is a part of the Bayer Tapestry, um, one of the most famous um, objects in, of medieval history. Um, and yet there are still obscure passages there. And this one obscure passage, which Joanna refers to, um, involves a scene in which a woman called Elgifa uh, is being touched by an unnamed cleric. Um, and this sheds if Joanna's theories are correct, rather a lot of light on the whole story of um, the biotapestry. So, Joanna, who was El Githa? Well, that is the uh, million-dollar question, really. There are lots of El Githas in um, Anglo-Saxon England, particularly in the royal family, um, and there have been a lot of suggestions as to who this particular El Githa might be. Um, some of them we've been able to discount. For instance, there was a story that Harold had married one of his sisters off to William the Conqueror, and it was thought that he had a sister called Algifer, until it was realised that this is an error in someone's reading of the Doomsday Book, and she was sister to a completely different Harold. So we have confusing stories like that which, which messed up the picture. Uh, we also have um, problems with the fact that women didn't always have just one name. The most famous Algifer with another name is Emma, who was wife, first of Ethelred the Unready, and then of Canute, and she was given Emma as her Norman name when she came over to England. She was named Elgifer, probably after Saint Elgifer of Shaftesbury, who was uh, King Edgar's mother. And um, she is one of the most likely candidates for this um, Elgifer interlude, but no other source written after the Norman Conquest called her Elgifer. She always was called Emma in anything that was related to Norman sources. So we don't know. Um, for those people who are unfamiliar with uh, the Bayer Tapestry and the narrative that's there, can you give us some sense of where this Elgifer interlude appears within the tapestry? Right, well, it's, it's fairly early on. Um, the, the way the story starts is that you have um, Harold, uh, Harold Godwinston, um, setting off from England. We don't know why. Um, but he sets off from England across the continent, uh, across to the continent. Um, he is captured um, and then liberated by, uh, in fact, William of Normandy. And he's at the, po- the point just before the Algifer interlude. He's in William's palace. Um, Harold isn't king yet, of course. Um, Edward the Confessor is still king. Um, and 
a lot of the Norman stories say that Harold actually went over um, to Normandy specifically to promise William that he would inherit the throne of England after Edward the Confessor. Um, obviously, the English stories are slightly different on that front. But anyway, the Alphabet um, interlude is just after this meeting, or perhaps the subject of the conversation that they had in the meeting, because it's a very strange um, way that it's portrayed. Um, Alfgifa is hovering above the ground. None of the other characters are, um, unless, you know, on horseback or whatever. She's hovering above the ground, and she's in a very strange construction. Um, it's not really a building. It's between some twisted pillars with beast's head on. And it's been suggested that this is deliberately um, meant to look old-fashioned, and that we're meant to understand that um, he's talking about something in the past, and he's talking about her um, in the past. And this is very strikingly illustrated, actually, in History Today. It, 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 it is a remarkable illustration, not least because of what appears beneath. Absolutely. <laughs> what appears beneath is um, a naked man who exactly mirrors the pose of the priest who is stood next to Elfgifer. Um The priest is reaching out, and he has his hand on her face, whether he's hitting her, caressing her, you, you couldn't say. But then there's this figure underneath who is very well endowed, um, and that has given rise to a lot of suggestions that there was some sort of sexual scandal involved here. Um, it's, uh, the, it's not the only naked image in the um, tapestry. There's, there's actually quite a few naked figures, um, and there's been lots of debate about whether these are just decorative or whether they need to be understood as somehow a commentary on, on the images above. But because um, the Elfgifer, who, whose uh, name, Norman name was Emma, was later involved in stories of scandal. She has um, she's one possibility, but the story is a lot later. Um, there was another Elfgifer who um, was in fact also married to Canute. She was his first wife, and the um, because there was obviously um, conflict over the Canute's sons wanting the throne, scandals came up quite early on um, regarding her and claims that she hadn't really uh, produced any children for Canute, that these were just um, children she'd smuggled into the bedroom, and one of them was supposed to be the son of a priest's concubine. So that is also another suggestion of, what, of uh, why we should have um, Elf Giffey here, that, that there's a reference to this scandal. I take issue with that particular story because um, it doesn't make a logical sense to put it in there because she has no bearing on what would be discussed in the palace, basically. So with your inter interpretation, if it's correct, um, what new light does that shed on not just the old Gifford interview, but, the, but the, the whole story that's being told in the bio-tapestry? Um, well, I, uh, what, I, what I'm arguing is that it definitely isn't Al Gifford of Northampton, Canute's first wife, um, the one who was associated with the early stories, that it's probably Emma but just possibly um, Ethelred the Unreaded's first wife, who was also confusingly probably called Ethgifer, um, um, who was the uh, great-grandmother of the most obvious candidate for the throne at this time, um, but who was a child, um, Edgar the Etheling. And so if there was a scandal involving her, then he wouldn't be able to be king. Um, it could be either of those, but probably Anna. But either way, what this is doing is um, suggesting that 
uh, William had no more right to the throne, at least, than Harold, but um, indeed not much right, um, and that the importance of the Bayer Tapestry really is that it's concentrating on the relics, the oath that Harold famously swears on the relics, and it's only after this that William had the greater right to the throne than Harold. And so why? Why would, uh, why would um, Elgitha uh, um, appear in this way? Why would it be open to interpretation? Who, who would offer uh, in the construction of the Bayer Tapestry? Who would profit by this interpretation? Bayer Cathedral. Right. Um, because I mean, uh, we think that the tapestry was made for Bayer Cathedral um, for, because um, William's half-brother was Odo, Bishop of Bayer. Mm -hmm. Certainly that's where it ends up. Uh, and Odo is quite a prominent figure throughout the tapestry. Um, and um, uh, yes, uh, there was um, a number of sources about the famous oath, and they don't all happen at Bayer. Mm -hmm. So by having this tapestry which celebrates um, the relics at Bayer and saying, no, these are the ones that he swore on, um, until that point, God could have favoured either side, but because of what happened here, God mm -hmm. supported William. Yeah. Um, that makes the relics of Bayer much more important. Yeah. And what happened ultimately to Elgitha, if we uh, if we think it is, if we, if, if your interpretation is correct? Um, well, if it's Emma, um, uh, eventually um, uh, her <coughs> um, her son Harthacnut did become king. Um, uh, and after that, Edward the Confessor, who was her son, became king. Um, but there was um, Edward was very unhappy that he that she'd favoured half the Canute first and helped him to become king. So she rather fell out of favour. Um, so yes, she lived in England as the king's mother, but uh, but not in as powerful a position as she might have liked. And it's interesting that um, because my sense of the Bayer tapestry is that it's been poured over for centuries, um, certainly the last couple of centuries by historians. Um, uh, what is the, the nature of, of the historiography of, of the Bayer Tapestry, of interpretation there? Is it still very much an open book, if you'll uh, excuse the phrase? <laughs> yes, it is, yes. Um, there's, there's still um, quite a lot being written and discussed on it. Um, I'm fairly recently, uh, one book came out saying actually it's um, really all just Norman work. It's made in Normandy. It's a, um, it should be understood as, as, a, as sort of a French celebration or a Norman celebration. Um, most historians still say, no, actually, we think it was probably made in England, um, but obviously with a lot of Norman influence. Um, there's yeah, still dispute as to uh, whether we should understand any of the border images as commentary or mere decoration, um, whether it's saying that Harold was trapped into his oath or whether this was um, that the whole purpose of coming over was, was to give the throne to, uh, to William so these, these are all still, still discussed so there's, there's still much work to be done yes yeah okay well thank you Jan it's a fascinating article and um, it's available in the October edition of History Today thank you thank you Our thanks to Joanna Lanesmith for that interview. You can read her piece, The Bayo Tapestry, A Canterbury Tale, in the October issue of History Today, which is out now. Also in this issue, 
Bernard Porter reevaluates the British Empire. Jeremy Black remembers the War of 1812. Onyeka looks at Africans in Tudor England. Stephen Cooper writes about the anniversary of Agincourt. And Klaus Dodds revisits James Bond at 50.